Hello, readers. Welcome to 20 Questions with Your Favorite Author, where we ask authors important questions like, why would you agree to be on this podcast? I'm Kelly Lynn Colby, Editorial Director at Curse Dragonship Publishing. Our guest this week is Russell Davis, multi-genre writer and author mentor. He's written and sold numerous novels and short stories in virtually every genre of fiction. Russell was the genre fiction concentration director for the MFA program at Western Colorado University, as well as the president of CIFWA. If he's not your favorite now, he will be after. Welcome, Russell. How are you feeling this evening? I'm good, Kelly. How are you? Not too bad. We're hanging in there. We're hoping the storms hold off. There's some, we're under a tornado watch. So, or warning, watch. The one where you haven't seen it yet. Watch. There you go. That one. That's what we're under. Yeah, you're in the Midwest, aren't you? You probably go through this more than we do. No, actually, I, but I grew up in the Midwest. I, That's I, what I'm thinking. I grew up in Nebraska where you're under a perpetual tornado watch, followed by a warning, followed by the wreckage. Followed by the watch. It really never ends. It's just a cycle. <laughs> it's just a cycle. Until, <laughs> until it starts to snow. Oh, lovely. It sounds like exciting weather. I thought the Midwest was boring. Shows what I know. No, no. It's 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 exciting weather and boring corn. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I grew up outside of Chicago. The corn I know a lot about in Indiana. <sighs> Excellent. Well, are you ready for our hard-hitting questions? I am ready. Excellent. So for our first question... Where do you get your ideas? A special order warehouse in Detroit. Excellent. Most authors don't know this. You mm-hmm. can special order, but it's 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 costly, uh, and and that's that's where I get mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a secret after you've been in the industry a long time. Well, it's part of the secret handshake that you eventually learn, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, oh, I love. Answer. Thank you for giving you're, us a fun answer. You're you're welcome. <laughs> um, the, of course, we get asked that all the time, right? I mean, where mm-hmm. do you get your ideas? Yep. Um, and my honest answer is maybe uh, not as funny, but is is maybe a little different. Um, I get a ton of my ideas from music, and a great many of my short stories actually bear song titles or song lyrics. Uh, as their title. Um, and uh, I've used, uh, like Jim Steinman, who wrote all of Meatloaf's stuff, uh, who passed away, he gave me permission to use lyrics from one of his songs for an epigram. So I, I get a lot of stuff from listening to music. Um, and uh, so for me, that's that's a big piece of, of where, where I get inspiration from. That's cool. That's a great place. Uh, Kevin says he can't afford ideas. That's why he writes in cliches. That's okay. Uh, you know, sometimes. Let's see. We have Cassie wants to know, what is your favorite book that you've written? That's a really good question. Um, because, you got to choose one of your babies. Well, it, it's a good question because most writers have either two answers to that, which oh, don't make me choose. Uh, or they immediately know. Um, That's true. Yeah. For me, um, the answer is none of them. <laughs> um, you write them and you're like, thank God that's over next. <laughs> I, here it's, so it's a very strange thing for me, but um, once I've written the end on a book, literally everything after that is just nightmarish 
for me as a writer from the copy editing and the editorial process and the page proofing and and once we get actually my wife does my final proofs because by that point i can't take it anymore um <laughs> don't uh, make because, me read this again oh because i i i will futz eternally given mm -hmm. half a chance i will continue to i will never be happy um so let me answer the question in another way which is what's what was my most popular book okay. um which would probably be the Jenna Solitaire uh, series um, in terms of, you know, the number of people who were aware of them and who bought copies and and all of that. And they just came back out. So um, I, I would say that those are probably the most widely known. I'm still not happy, but they're the most widely known. I remember when I said that that I helped uh, proofread that when it was re-released through Wordfire recently, which I have a question about that. And so I was like, oh, yeah, we got your proofread. You're like, oh, no, you've read it. I'm like, yes, it was good. Why do you say that? It's good. Oh, jeez. I, I can't. You know, I forgot that you told me that. Uh -huh. um, and now you're going to ask me more questions about it. Good. Excellent. I'm enjoying this already. Um, you can see Russell does this a lot. Roger. Lights. It's... <laughs> Yeah, this is okay. Go, Kelly. Go with another question. <laughs> well, my question is about uh, Jenna Solitaire specifically. So that they're being re-released right now through Wordfire Press, yeah. and I was wondering where did because you told us a little bit about where it came from. So if, can you tell our audience where did this idea come from for her? Sure. So, uh, so and I still do some of that. I I was doing work as a book packager with Techno Books and Martin H. Greenberg at the time. Uh, and, and can you tell our audience what a book packager is? Sure. A book packager is um, sort of like an agent and sort of like an editor. Um, they do a little bit of both. Um, most book packagers uh, create ideas and then they sell them to a publisher as an idea. And they do all of the editorial work and all of that and present basically what they call camera ready copy to the publisher. Um, so they contract with the authors, they handle all of that. And I've done some of that work off and on most of my career. Um, so Jenna Solitaire started off as a co-packaged project between Techno Books and myself, where I had the idea for the series and had absolutely no intention of writing it because the whole conceit of the series was that the author and the narrator of the books, um, were one and the same. The books were being done in almost real time and th that she was a real person uh, and she happened to be a 19-year-old female. So uh, I, I was not really the ideal writer. Um, so we sold the series and we went out to writers and we had, I think we went, I want to say we tried like four and oh. I kept saying this isn't the right voice. And one night I might have had a little to drink and <laughs> I, I was really irritated and I said, you know what, I'm going to write the first, you know, the prologue and the first chapter, just so we can share, just so we can show that. This is the voice we're looking this, for. This is what I want. Mm -hmm. And I, I did it all and, and sent it into Marty. And the next day I got a call and he, and he said, maybe you should be writing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I did. Um, and uh <laughs> And uh, I spent uh, a couple of years writing as a 19-year-old female, uh, and uh, we hit it's it all so very. We hit it. We, so tour was through Tortine, and I think that the 
for me, the challenge was this. Mm-hmm. We didn't think about it until it was too late. You cannot do any PR if this person doesn't actually exist, right? So you couldn't so, put on a wig, and I mean, we could have totally like, made this work. debated like, what if we hired an actress? What if you know? <laughs> and of course, but then they, of course, she was on the covers, mm-hmm. and you know, so now we've got to find somebody who looks like that. It was just, and you know, so Jenna was writing marketing letters to booksellers. <laughs> And uh, couldn't do any signing, so we did we did uh, signed book plates through Mysterious Galaxy, and it was a whole thing um, where where we really didn't quite think it through, and then it got worse because Uh-oh. people believed Jenna was real, like not a little bit, <laughs> not a little bit believed, totally believed. Because you got fan mail, right? You know, not just fan mail, but it was, it, the mail was so uh, insane. I actually had to get a lawyer and hire a lawyer to help me craft responses because so many of the fans were young teenage girls mm. who were writing to Jenna about their life problems. Like, should I have sex with my boyfriend or should I run away from home? Or here's where I live, and you can always come and stay here if you need a place to stay. And you're like, I feel very uncomfortable right now. And yeah, so it was like red alert, red alert. So we yeah. Yeah, actually actually hired a lawyer to help me draft oh, these wow. very legalistic responses. The things um, you don't think about. Yeah, it was. I think you know we just outsmarted ourselves uh, in so many ways. Um, and I don't. And, and to be clear, and because God knows this is going to be on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Want to be clear, I would never do that today. Right. And and what we Despite saw has your name on the Jenna Solitaire books now. Right, and that's why my name is on it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would never do that today. And and really, I mean, uh, it, it really was uh, the whole idea that it was a marketing thing was where we started and the idea that people would believe Jenna was a real person. I don't think it really crossed any of our minds until it was far too late to do anything about it. Um, but certainly knowing what I know now, I would never do it. Um, Mm -hmm. and which just goes to show, of course, uh, how, um, you know, even, uh, this many books into my career, you know, you're still learning. Yeah. And times change. Times change. Yeah. Times change. Yeah. Also, I would think now it's easier to find writers to write things. So if you had this idea and something, a property that you want to market like that, it would be easier to find the writer than it you was know, at that I think time. It, I think it probably would be easier now, mm-hmm. uh, partially because really YA hadn't even exploded at that point. Mm-hmm. It was That was kind of at the beginning of the YA boom. Mm-hmm. Um, precipitated by Harry Potter. Right, they're trying to figure out what are the Harry Potter people going to read now. Yep. Not, not. I mean, we hadn't had Twilight at that point. We hadn't had, um, you know, Alice Noel hadn't really boomed at that point yet. So it was really, um, we we really didn't, you know, <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing until we did it, and then after we did it, we wish we hadn't done it. So um, <laughs> you were on the edge. You just didn't know which edge. That happens. That. <laughs> Actually, you know, in my career, I've I've been ahead of the curve about 
about my 10 years most of the time. That's awesome. And, and terrifying. Well, it's it's great when you can look back and go, ha, see, I was right. Unfortunately, that means that your your kids find your Wikipedia entry, come home and say, Dad, how come we're not rich? <laughs> <laughs> and you say, well, you see, my idea was like 10 years before that would have been a good idea. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, Kevin wants to know, do you think it would have played out differently if you had done promo for the books? Well, uh, you know, I just like, don't took think, off the veil right away. I, yeah, I, I think it would have, but I think it would have shattered the illusion of what we were doing. Right. Because the books were coming out. I mean, I, I wrote all four books in a year, mm -hmm. um, which is about, actually, that year I wrote six novels that year, four Jenna books and two other books, um, and edited, uh, I think, two anthologies that year. Um, and uh, the whole conceit was that these books were being written essentially in real time. And so they were they came out very, very quickly. Um, and had we, you know, uh, uh, had we torn the veil aside, I think we would have, we would have blown the conceit, uh, you know, before it even really got off the ground. Uh, but it's a fair question. Uh, yeah. And, you know, looking back, you know, maybe that's what we should have done. But how do you know? In a panic at that moment. Yeah, at that moment, uh, it seemed like a good idea to just roll with it until, you know, like you say, it was, it was about the time, like, the second book came out that we started to go, wait a minute. Like, this isn't just, like, fan mail and people commenting on MySpace. Like, I'm getting email and letters. <laughs> <laughs> about serious stuff. About very serious things. And uh -huh. so. Excellent. But like I said, it's a fascinating story. So... That's, uh, I think it's funny you mentioned Wikipedia. Do you ever get lost in Wikipedia? Like, do you get in there and get lost? And have you, if you have, what rabbit hole did you fall under? You know, I, I have gotten lost in Wikipedia um, many, many times. Um, in particular, uh, I get lost in history. Mm. Uh, uh, I, I, as you mentioned at the top of the show, you know, I, I work in a lot of different genres. Uh, and I find Wikipedia to be a really good jumping off point for a lot of different things. So, uh, you know, as, as an educator, I, I really don't want students citing Wikipedia to me, but Wikipedia is convenient in that it has its citations down at the bottom and you can click yes. on those and then you can really go down the rabbit hole. Um, so I consider it a great place to like sort of start. And- uh, Completely agree. And I do a lot of research on Western, U.S. Western history because I do a lot of Westerns work. And um, because the history is so sketchy of, our, of that time period in, in our country, you can start there and then you just kind of keep following links uh, until eventually, uh, you know, uh, you've circled all the way back around. Like you've gone, you go, you go on this really weird internet. It's, it's, it's sort of like a... Uh, you know, like a sphere where you start in Wikipedia and you go out and then you come all the way back and you go, wait a minute, isn't this where I started? And, <laughs> and now you've learned all the things, right? And now you've learned all the things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't use it a ton, but I do use it for jumping off for particularly for historical research. Yeah, I 100% agree. Even when I was teaching, I told him you can use Wikipedia as a starting point. 
you have no knowledge, you can get a basic knowledge and then figure out where to research from there. So perfect. I'm glad I'm not the only one who believes that. No. Um, but I'll tell you, I just got lost in Wikipedia today on your profile. So it's the, one a, that, the one that's so bad. It's well, it's shorter than it should be. I'll tell you, because I know you've got a lot more on there. But I was like, I know more about this. Come on now. But it was still impressive what was on there. So my question is, though, the part that pulls me out the most is that it lists six pen names, Does not it? including your own name. <laughs> so why have you used so many pen names? So you explained Jenna, but I mean, most of these are male pen names. So why, why yeah. do you do so many? So, <laughs> so let's, be, <laughs> let's be clear. Um, Russell Davis is about the most common as dirt name as you could possibly have, right? Um, I mean, it's not John Doe, but it's it, it, it's pretty close. Um, early in my career, um, when I first started writing, um, I think it was the maybe the second or third short story sale I ever made uh, was to a, a theme anthology called Black Cats and Broken Mirrors. Well, that's a fun name. Oh, no, wait. I'm sorry. Pardon me. It was even before that. It was the first sale I made. UFO Files. Mm -hmm. uh, Ed Gorman was the editor uh, with Marty Greenberg. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got into the anthology by accident. They were short words. And uh, John Hilfers called me. He worked for Marty. Mm -hmm. And said, we're short on this anthology that we're doing with Ed. Can you write a story for this book? And I said, what is it? He said, UFO Files. I said, I'm your man. That's right. Done. Because... because <laughs> Well, because when you're a young writer and you're beginning, your answer to everything is yes. Yes. Yep. Um, and so I wrote a story for it. Uh, it, it did not. I, I said, are there any rules? He said, yeah, it has to have a UFO in it. And I said, okay, it didn't have a UFO in it. Um, <laughs> you broke the one rule. But Ed Gorman bought it. I don't, I'm still, you know, Ed is past and he was one of the real greats uh, in our field. But, uh, and for those of you who are following along at home, if you have not read Ed Gorman, Search out his short story, Angie. It will blow your mind. Um, and Ed Gorman was a great mystery writer and a great Western uh, writer. But uh, anyway, the book came out. And I think I was on my second or third sto story that I'd been pre-invited to at that point. And I got a postcard in the mail about the UFO files story. And the postcard came from a guy in prison. And it said, UFOs are, are not aliens, but they're angels and demons battling for our souls, and you better watch what you write. And I went, I have children. Maybe <laughs> I have to think about, <laughs> yeah, to think about of this. Of all the stories to be offended by, I'm sure that's yeah, not the one no, you I thought. Mean, I, 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 so I, at that time, I was writing under my, uh, my first initial and my last name. Uh, and then, uh, so I kept writing, uh, short fiction as R. Davis or Russell Davis, but short fiction has a pretty contained audience, you know, uh, even, even really successful theme anthologies have a pretty contained audience. Yes. Well, when I started to write novels. <laughs> For the record, that's a really nice way to say they don't sell very well. <laughs> that's a very nice way to sell it. Yeah. Uh, and to say it is they don't sell very well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love them. Um, and I'm, and I always have, I've loved short fiction, uh, uh, forever. Uh, but, um, when I started doing novels, I, I was uncomfortable with the publicity. Mm. And so 
I think out of the not until until these Jenna books came out with my name on it. Out of like forty books, I think my name had appeared on like three. Uh, and <laughs> and you know some some stuff I've done that I I can't even talk about because I've ghosted material and signed NDAs and stuff. But mm-hmm. you know when I when I was doing the Mac Bolin books, um, for example, they always acknowledge on the copyright page it'll say special thanks or special acknowledgement to and that'll tell you who actually wrote it well i didn't even want my name there so i came up with uh dylan garrett or garrett dylan i can't remember which one i used first i, I would just flip them around i was gonna say it looks like you have both yeah they were I do. Yeah. <laughs> and i well because at one point i couldn't remember what i'd done and <laughs> and then gold eagle who was the publisher under harlequins that's a harley it was a harlequin imprint um inadvertently outed me in one book they Oops. accidentally put my name in it oh and the guy who runs the mac bolin uh dot com who ran the mac bolin website like for fans mm-hmm. saw it and recognized the writing style and oh, no. and wrote to me and said is are all of these you <laughs> and quit, quit being said, smart quit being smart and i said yeah that those are mine and <laughs> <laughs> no, don't tell anyone, please. Uh, no, I, you know, here's the thing. I mean, by that point, it was, you know, it was all over with, but the crying, I think. The crying's uh, never So, yeah, I mean, I, I pick a lot of, I've, I've used a lot of different names uh, for different things. Um, but uh, mostly it's, uh, you know, kind of where I, what I said at the very beginning, I, I'm not, I don't do this a lot. <laughs> I, I, and I just, the whole publicity thing, like, I just love it. If people like my books and they like my stories, I'm so thrilled. That always, I, that's, nothing is cooler than that. Just in case anybody ever wants to know. Uh, like, when somebody says, I read your story or I read your book and I loved it and it meant this to me. You're, it's like every bit of blood, sweat, and tears you've put out for everything else is now worth it. Um, and that's great. Uh, but... For me, the the rest of the public stuff that has always made me a little uncomfortable. I don't know how guys like George and and Neil and all those guys. I don't know how they do. <laughs> I, I I don't know how they do it. I would go insane. Yeah, it's it's too much. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I I want to be rich but not famous. Yeah, that'd be great. Actually, right? If we could control that, I'm all about that. Let's be rich and not famous. Yeah, I, I'd be on board with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good idea. We should sign up. <laughs> I have to say that you seem to serve the writing community extensively. Like you've served as, um, we talked about the uh, publishing in your intro that you did the, that's where I met you, the um, publishing concentration masters at Western Colorado University, that you were the director of that. Well, I was the director of genre fiction. Of genre fiction. Yes, I'm sorry. And, and I helped Kevin develop the, the, I actually was the launch point for the masters in publishing that you took. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Very much. <laughs> my certificate, I need to like put on the wall or something. I don't know. I get them. I'm like, thanks, man. I mean, it's the knowledge you go, right? So I yeah. don't tend to always frame them. Um, and nobody asks before I publish their book. I don't know. I want to see the certificate. I just want to know, you know what you're doing. That would actually it's, be interesting. It's a little bit like your GPA. No one ever <laughs> asks you about it after you've worried about it. <laughs> exactly. After you're into your college, no one cares anymore. After you graduate from college, nobody cares anymore. Yeah, yeah you spend um, a lot of time on it, and then nobody gives a damn. Right? 
Yeah, I had a professor at my senior year in college, and I was an older student, et cetera. I had my kids. And there was this whole seminar about caring about knowledge and not grades. And I happened to care about both. But as soon as he said that, I was like, Psh. and I got like B's the whole senior year when I was like straight A student. I was like, Psh. he said, don't care. And he's right. Why do I care? So I just B's the whole time. I, 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 I did not go to, I didn't do my undergrad work until I was 23, um, mm -hmm. which was a long time, long, long time ago. <laughs> Um, but I, you know, I waited five years to go to college and I was, uh, a really, really mediocre at best student in high school, mm -hmm. uh, because I did not care. But when I got to college and I was being charged money, I started <laughs> to care a lot. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted whatever came out of that. I wanted it to be the coolest resume possible. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so literally I, paying for this now. <laughs> I'm paying for it, so still paying for it. Uh, so, uh, which works nicely. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, but it is one of those things. It's uh, you to answer your question. Yes, I've I've served as an educator, and uh, and I was on the uh, Sufa board of directors uh, for a year as the at that time. They used to call them uh, regional directors. I was the Western regional director, and then I was civil president for two years. And before that, I was the chair of the copyright committee. Nice. Back, back when we were playing whack-a-mole with, with early, mm. early uh, internet piracy of books. Well, now it's now the big companies trying to take it. Yeah, can't be done. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen that lately, like the newest contracts are all like they're asking for the right to publish for the life of the copyright. I'm like, yeah, well, that's giving up your copyright. Don't sign that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a whole thing. And, and you know, I mean, if you've got a good if you've got a good reversion clause, that'll override it. But but truthfully, um, you know, the whole publishing world is really in a weird space right now. And this last this last year, year and a half has not made it better. It's actually made it much worse. Yep. So, but to answer, I, I assume there was a question you were going to yes, ask about. Yes, but we about. could just talk. I like that better. Because my question is, so we talked about SIFWA, and you were in a whole bunch of other organizations because you write under every genre imaginable. So my question is, why do you think it's important for these organizations? What 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 is their What is their purpose? Wow, that's a, that's a really great question. Because the answer is different for every for all of them okay um so oh, wow here <laughs> watch all your readers fall asleep our listeners fall there let's see how many z sounds we can get when i prepare to give my history of writers organizations in the united states <laughs> <laughs> this will be definitive we're going to cite it on wikipedia oh god so, yeah so, <laughs> SIFWA started out as a as an author advocacy association, as a 501c6 advocacy uh, organization, uh, and their role in the history of science fiction and fantasy publishing has always, that's always been sort of at the forefront of what SIFWA does, which is to, to defend writers from predatory practices, from bad contracts, from, you know, all of those things. Uh, to ensure that writers are being paid fairly. So uh, CIFWA sort of sets the short fiction uh, rate per word standard uh, and has for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, so, of course, over the years, it's grown. And, and I, I was part of the 
the big shift from 501c6 to 501c3 with the public mission. Um, and uh, so now it's got a much broader umbrella that it functions under. Um, you know, whereas RWA, uh, anybody can join RWA. Um, and uh, well, if you write romance, if you write romance or you have an interest in romance or you think you might write romance uh, and they're they're a chapter driven organization. So they have regional and local chapters. Um, you know, uh, HWA is for horror writers. WWA is for Western writers. But, you know, the, the one commonality of purpose that they serve is uh, something that I think a lot of us have dealt with over the last year and a half which is community yes. uh, because, uh, you know, writing is by its very nature, a rather lonely, solitary gig, you know, um, it's just you. When I started, it was you and your typewriter. Um, mm -hmm. uh, now it's you and your computer screen and your game of solitaire and, your, <laughs> and Shh, whatever don't give away you, all our secrets, whatever else you're using to procrastinate, but it, it it's that's it, you know every writer faces the ultimate peril with the blank page right and it's just you and the page and your voice in the in your head and 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 oh man mm -hmm. um it can be so scary it is and it's it's lonely and it's it's a kind of a it's a job done in solitude so ultimately most of these writers organizations serve uh to provide a sense of community i think for writers and for fans and readers, it, it, you know, every single one of them has an annual convention. All of them do. So if it has the Nebula Weekend, Western Writers of America has their convention. Everybody does. Uh, and uh, they typically do fan events at these things, whether it's book signings or, or you know, panels or whatever. So, you know, it, it does have that at least annual purpose of, of being a place where fans of a particular genre can come and, and meet many of their favorite writers at a, t at a time and critique partners and learn a lot and Jesus, uh -huh. it's mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's i'm i always you know because i was you know the president of sifwa i always spent a lot of time talking about the importance of uh not what sifwa can do for you but what you can do for sifwa because that's serving the community of writers as a whole mm -hmm. um and that was that's always been uh pretty important to me Hundred percent agree. I'll tell you, as as the editorial director, I can tell when I get a manuscript that no one else has read. You can see it immediately. It's it's so make sure that's a great place to go to these organizations, to go to your local guilds, any of those kind of places to find other people so that y'all can exchange work. You'll learn, you'll grow. It's incredible. So well, thank you for being a part of that. Yeah, no, I have mentor programs and and it's it's really it's really critical, uh, particularly if you're not in a in an environment where you can do that um mm -hmm. it where you know like the last year and a half where everybody's been stuck at home and mm -hmm. things like that so i have to say the audience says as we've been talking they're see they didn't fall asleep at all they're actually really excited about all the stuff you've written yeah. so like um oh, there's one uh vicky and spikeette and then kevin helped fill in they were talking about librarians episode that you wrote yeah so that was for the very first movie um and I have a great story about this. Oh, good. They're excited. They want to hear it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was working, this was, the book was through uh, Byron Price's uh, company, which was iBooks and had a notorious reputation 
for yeah. screwing over writers. Oh, no. So I had a deal with Byron. Mm-hmm. I was on an annual contract with him. And he paid me monthly. And I would write, I think, three books a year for him or something. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't pay, then I would call him and say, Byron, I stopped writing. And <laughs> I need my paycheck. Because <laughs> when I first started writing for him, I knew this and I would hold the manuscript. I'd say it's done, but I'm not sending it to you until I get paid. <laughs> so Sounds fair to me. So I got asked to do the novelization of the first librarian movie, which came out on TNT. And mm-hmm. it was the it was the highest rated cable movie of the year. I love that show. And uh, it was, you know, Librarian and the Quest for the Spear. And so I got the script and they were still shooting in Mexico when I got the script. And I had I had 21 days to write the novelization of this script into a book. And I received really specific instructions. I cannot add and I cannot take away. And I'm like, this is going to be the shortest novel in history. <laughs> That's really hard. And so I read the script and I... I, I wrote out about a dozen questions, right? Because I had questions about some of the things I was reading. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how is it possible that he jumps out of an airplane at 30,000 feet and lives? I just think this is a good question. <laughs> minor, minor issue. <laughs> so I sent it, I sent my questions in to, and I hope to God he someday sees this, to Dean <laughs> Dow, who, of course, did Independence Day and all this stuff. Yes. The first email I get back, I, I kid everybody not, there's one line, don't stop the fun train. <laughs> I'm like, but I have to write this. <laughs> so the next email I get is, you don't even have the right version of the script. And I said, well, could I have the right version of the script? Because now I have about 16 days to write, <laughs> to write this thing. So I get the right version of the script and and I'm giving notes and their marketing people are asking me to come up with ideas to insert things and do all of this stuff. And I really felt, um, you know, I mean, the thing was, when I saw the movie finally, uh-huh. so movie scripts don't, have, there's no tone to a movie script. You don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Without the tone of the movie, I I didn't know it was supposed to be comedic. Oh, no. Was the book not funny? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and had I known it was supposed to be funny, I would have said you need to get somebody else because it's kind of the one thing I don't do. <laughs> um, but I, I literally, like, when I saw the movie, I'm like, holy Christ, this is like a comedy. I really wish I'd known that. When I got, like, maybe you should have mentioned this is like comedy adventure, tongue-in-cheek, not to be taken. So, and he I maybe that's what he meant. The fun train. Yeah, I, apparently that's what he meant by don't stop the fun train. Um, though still, you can't jump out of an airplane at 30,000 feet. <laughs> it's not um, very fun, at least not for long. But, uh, so, uh, and it was, I mean, it was fine. The, the book came out, the movie came out, it did, everything did great. But the name on the book is probably what your 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 audience is, is wondering about, which is the name Christopher Tracy. <laughs> and I, I don't know that I've said this in private to people, but I don't know that I've ever said it in public. 
Well, y- this is going on YouTube, as you pointed and, out earlier. <laughs> and, and that's okay. It's been a long time. Okay. <laughs> and they didn't ask me to write anymore, though. So uh, <laughs> now I know why. Um, Christopher Tracy was the name of a character played by Prince in the movie Under the Cherry Moon. And he was a male escort. So you had the foot train going the whole time. It just oh, didn't I used the name of a male prostitute as my pseudonym because that's how I felt. I'm like, I'm just here putting the words on the page. Give me my paycheck, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, and that's awesome. That's trivia right there, people. Right that that's, down. That's trivia, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um let's see oh and roger see like i said they're all happy now they're see you made fans look at this this is the oh. whole point so good job roger wants to know about the tom clancy book he said he loved that book so how did that come about good god roger you read that book he i'm sure it said clancy on it. he bought it immediately oh well no doubt so god that was that was the first novel i ever sold Ooh. Uh, how did you? How did the first novel you ever saw end up being in the Tom Clancy universe? Well, John Helfers and I co-wrote it, and and so this was all about the time. Uh, so my the first book I ever wrote was a uh, hundred and eighty thousand word Arthurian legend, big fat fantasy doorstopper, and oh my God, was it bad? And we ritually burned it in the backyard. <laughs> I think that's and, a lot of our first books. Yes. And the second book I ever wrote was about a 95,000 word hardcore thriller, um, also very bad, that we ritually burned in the backyard. And right about this time was when Clancy, the Clancy universe was just blowing up, right? He was he was branding everything. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a lawsuit. So the way they used to, they were the way they were doing them at the time was it was Tom Clancy's net force and that was all you saw right right there was a lawsuit and I cannot for the life of me remember the name but it was a mystery writer who mm-hmm. had who had died and somebody came and ghosted his last book that he was in the process of writing when he died and a rather eagle-eyed reader figured it out and they filed a class action lawsuit for false advertising against this publisher so Proclaiming it was only Clancy? No, this was just this mystery writer. So uh, right about the time that, that all that I was looking at this Clancy stuff, mm-hmm. they started putting Tom Clancy's net force in really big letters at the top, and then in very small letters at the bottom, written by John Helpers and Russell Davis or whoever's name. It was and I mean you know, right. the the Clancy font was, you know, a 26-point font, and, and our font was, you know, an 8-point font with a black shadow, you know, so you really couldn't see it. But that way that nobody could file a lawsuit. Well, uh, John and I got the chance to pitch for that series, for the NetForce uh, YA series, and we pitched. They liked it, um, and we did it. And so that ended up being the first book that I ever, that I ever sold. Now, there's a great story attached to that flash forward years later my mother was worked as a bartender in door county wisconsin where tom clancy vacationed oh no this gets really good (laughs) so one night 
she's at the bar. It's a quiet night. There's a guy sitting there. Mm -hmm. She does. She didn't follow any of this stuff. I mean, just to be clear for your audience, none of my family have ever bought a single book I wrote. But my mom liked to talk about it. (laughs) She liked the idea that her son was an author. (laughs) So she asked this guy, what do you do? Oh, I'm a writer. She doesn't say anything. She just says the usual question. Would I have read anything you've written? And and he says, I'm Tom Clancy. And she says, oh, that's great. My son wrote one of your books. He Story. did not think that was funny at all. Oh, and, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> and, uh, but but she's she told me this, and I'm like, what were you? Why would you? No, just shut up. Just pour the man his drink and move. On. <laughs> um, Mom, stop. But to Roger's question, I you know, when you do a, the kind of when you have the kind of career I've had, which has been a lot of ghost work and a lot of media tie-in work and a lot of working in other people's universes. Um, your answer to can you do that is yes. Doesn't matter whether it's Clancy or or anybody else. If they say, can you do it? Your answer is, of course I can. Um, and uh, you rapidly become a generalist where you can kind of do almost anything, um, which, you know, sort of ultimately played well for my career. But it's not necessarily what I would recommend other writers do. Um, but that's that's how I got into it was we had the chance to pitch for the Explore, the NetForce Explorers line. And we took our shot and got lucky. You jump in. That's awesome. That's all. I love that story. That's going to have to go into my repertoire of stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, One thing we're not on YouTube, I'll tell you my William Shatner story. Yes. See, you'll have to come to Dragon Con, which actually leads me to my next question. What convention did you miss last year that you're eager to attend this year? I very rarely attend conventions. Um, they are suspiciously like work. And, um, <laughs> and um, I, I like to go if I'm doing stuff, you know, if I'm doing panels or I'm meeting with editors or I'm pitching something. Um, I love uh, my my friends, and I'm always glad to see them. Um, and I'm always happy to. Well, I, I really love sitting in the bar, um, but uh, I, I typically don't go and like regularly to any specific thing. I go to places I'm asked, or I go to ones where I have something to do. Um, so, like when I was living in Wisconsin uh, before I moved here to Florida in 2015. It was like a run of Worldcon and the Nebulas and so on that were in Chicago. And it was just like a two and a half, three hour drive for me. So it really wasn't a big deal. Made it really easy to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was an online guest at ICFA this year, uh, which is in Orlando. And, and okay. so probably, uh, you know, next year when it rolls around uh, again, I will probably go to that one in person. Um, I was at Dragon Con in 2019. I saw mm-hmm. you. A couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, we might have had a couple of drinks at the bar. We might have, uh, as I recall. Bar con is my favorite con. Yeah, that's the best place. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, I mean, my favorite convention, really favorite convention to go 
that I've ever gone to is, is I really love the Nebula Weekend and I really love World Fantasy. Nice. Um, I've not been to a World Fantasy yet. That's on my bucket list. Yeah, it's I. It, World Fantasy tends to be more more business focused, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I I really have enjoyed the World Fantasies I've been to, and and you know like like Dragon Con, which we were at last year. That's just a lot of people. Holy, that's a lot of people. It is. And if you're like me, which is you know sort of somebody who can people cap very rapidly. Like I walked from like my hotel room, to like the first thing I was going to, and I was people capped for the day. Like, oh no. <laughs> Whoa, that's just way too many people. So. <laughs> See, I make it through the weekend, but then I sleep for like the whole next week. That's how yeah. I recover. It's a lot. It's a lot of people. And I it's really didn't, I, that, I'd never been to Dragon Con before last, that the year that I saw you there. I'd never been. What? I just hadn't gone. Uh uh, but you know that it's kind of changing now. Dragon Con's really becoming, uh, you know, sort of a second world science fiction convention thing. Mm-hmm. So, and because it is close enough for me to drive to, drive to, I will probably, probably show up. It's pretty amazing. No, we laugh because it's the biggest convention we go to with the highest concentration of writers. Not just celebrities of other genres, you know, of movie or TV or anime or they have all that stuff too. But there's the percentage of writers is huge. Yeah, and most of the fan conventions we go to, there's just a couple writers there. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, like World Science, you know, Worldcon, uh, you know. Has that a is lot. a writer's convention. So it's different, but it, you know. But it has, I mean, but really does have a lot of fans. I mean, there are a lot of fans that come to, to Worldcon, yeah. Um, and and all you have to do is like be sitting in the lobby when when Neil Gaiman walks in and see what happens. And uh, uh, so I mean, but you know, like that part of it is that that part's pretty. I mean, like when I when I've been at events where where fans have wanted to talk to me, I'm always I'm always charmed and thrilled by that. Um, I I. My degree, my my weird meter goes off. We we start off like, this is charming, right? This mm-hmm. is this is nice, and so long as I remember what it is they're asking me about, which isn't always the case. That's right. why I rarely travel alone. I bring my wife. So I Please say, fill me I, in. <laughs> so I can say, did I write that? And she can say, yes, that was you, and remind <laughs> me. Um, then we ask the week to autographing, and that mm-hmm. okay. I've had a lot of practice now. I'm better at that. But then we get to things like they want to take pictures, and whoa, AI go gets like, no, I'm not. Doing <laughs> please, please, no, I crossed the line here. So, uh, yeah, I'll be there at Dragon Con this year. Yes, all right, we're gonna have a big party. Roger will be there too. So, will Vicky and um, Spike Ed will be there. Roger will be there. So, you're gonna get to meet a lot of these people. So that'll be fun. Oh, I'm good. Excellent. <laughs> That'd be awesome. So we are almost at our hour. So I'm going to go to the lightning round to finish our 20 questions. Are you yes, ready for these? Yes, no, I will okay. go fast. All right, here we go. Polos or button-ups? Button-ups. What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Chocolate and peanut butter. Oh, that's delicious. What's the first thing you put in your grocery cart as an impulse buy? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> Shit. Um... <laughs> You know, don't, don't don't put shit in your cart first. I, you know, that, no, it's a really good question. I, I'm a ha- I'm I'm a little OCD, so I'm a <laughs> habit shopper. So I have to think about this, the sequence that I go through the store in, 
And the answer to your question is um, fresh herbs are my impulse, my first impulse buy. Just for the record, you've just told us our age by saying fresh herbs because I'm 100% behind you. Yeah, okay. Fresh herbs. I'm with you. If I could grow them, it'd be easier. I just can't seem to. Um, What part of your daily routine is an absolute must? Coffee. Uh, Mm. In particular, uh, my 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 daily Starbucks run. Um, I ought to own stock in the company for as much money as I spend there. Uh, yeah, it's. I have a very, very bad coffee habit, and it's that. Without that, the rest of the day is not going to happen. So I guess I don't have to ask you, coffee or tea? No. Okay. How about cats or dogs? Dogs. Um, Least. No. Go ahead. Dogs, absolutely, and without exception. Nice. It was dogs for me too, but then after reading all these author bios, I thought I couldn't be a real author if I didn't have a cat, so we had to get a couple. Yeah. It's... At least that's what I tell my husband. Um. Okay. And what is your Least favorite chore around the house? Oh, dishes. I, uh, I, I don't like cleaning the kitchen, but we have a deal in our house. If you cook, you don't clean. So I cook a lot. I wish we had that deal. <clears throat> so final, now that you are here and you're awesome and we adore you. So thank you so much for doing this. We'd like to know where can fans find you and your work? Um, so fans can find me on Twitter, uh, uh, R. Davis Writer, uh, also on Instagram, R. Davis Writer. Um, there is a website that is partially built, um, and we're not done yet, uh, at rdaviswriter.com. Um, my my now woefully out-of-date primary site is morningstormbooks.com, um, and so there's everywhere you can find me, and and eventually... It will all one of them will be caught up enough to actually like say yay but yeah i'm on twitter and instagram <laughs> and uh, that's probably the easiest place to find me that's awesome well thank you so much russell now that he is uh your new favorite author please make sure to read and then review uh russell's work and also review our podcast wherever it is you get podcasts you can also follow us on twitch or subscribe on youtube so we'd love to see you there and what else do we have? Oh, I keep forgetting our subscribers. We have subscribers now, so I can't get used to this. So we have to thank uh, William Galaney, D.H. Dunn, and 8 of 9 for subscribing. Thank you very much. You helped make this possible. We want to thank Roger so much for getting these, these awesome lights so people can see me better. Wait a minute. That's a bad idea. We need to get rid of these lights. And we hope to see you next week, next Tuesday, 8 p.m. Central, right here. And who are we having? We have Shannon Camp is next week. So that'll be fun. We'll see you then.